Welcome back, friends. Bill Creasy here with Wednesday's episode of Scripture Uncovered. On Monday, we witnessed the death of Absalom, David's favored son. Absalom, who had betrayed his father, who had marched against David, declared war on David, and would have killed David if given the chance. But Absalom dies. His mule galloping beneath a pistachio tree, Absalom's hair caught in the branches, the mule kept running, and General Joab, who loathed Absalom after Absalom betrayed David, and after Absalom had burned Joab's fields, Joab put three javelins in Absalom's heart. And we witnessed the appalling grief of David on learning that Absalom was dead. The most appalling grief in all of the Bible. But now, the war's over. David is back on the throne. But after a war, there's a lot of healing that needs to take place. And there are still people who are not willing to give up. People who are not willing to let go. So there will be trouble. And we will encounter that trouble today. 2 Samuel chapter 20. Now a troublemaker named Sheba, son of Bichri, a Benjamite, tribe of Saul, happened to be there. He sounded the trumpet and shouted, We have no share in David, no part in Jesse's son. Every man to his tent, O Israel. So all the men of Israel deserted David to follow Sheba, son of Bichri. But the men of Judah stayed by their king all the way from the Jordan to Jerusalem. So only the tribe of Judah, David's tribe, stays loyal. The other ten not counting the Levites, all desert. We have an incipient civil war about to break out. When David returned to his palace in Jerusalem, he took the ten concubines he had left to take care of the palace and put them in a house under guard. He provided for them, but did not lie with them. They were kept in confinement till the day of their death, living as widows. Why? Because Ahithophel, advised Absalom, when you get to Jerusalem, you take David's ten concubines he left behind and you have sex with them in public view, humiliating your father. Because if you do that, you will have crossed the Rubicon. There is no going back. And that's what Absalom did. So now those ten concubines, David's secondary wives, are put aside. The worst thing you can do to shame your father is to sleep with your father's wife. So they are put aside. Then the king said to Amasa, Summon the men of Judah to come with me within three days and be here yourself. But when Amaziah went to summon Judah, he took longer than the time the king had set for him. So he used to go out, round up the men of Judah, but he's been gone a while. So David said to Abishai, Now Sheba, son of Bichri, will do more harm than Absalom did. Take your master's men and pursue him, or he'll find fortified cities and escape from us. So Joab's men and the Carathites and Pelathites, the mercenaries, 
and all the mighty warriors went out under the command of Abishai. They marched out from Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, son of Bichri. Now while, while they were at the great rock in Gibeon, Amasa came to meet them. Joab, David's commanding general, and a very tough fellow, was wearing his military tunic, and strapped over it as at his waist was a belt with a dagger in its sheath. As he stepped forward, it dropped out of its sheath. A dagger was attached to it. Now warriors go to battle with a sword, man on man, mano a mano. You fight face to face. A dagger is a weapon of stealth. Joab kept that dagger hidden, attached to his tunic, the belt of his tunic, and it was in the sheath upside down. So Joab could reach and slip it out stealthily, which he did. Joab then said to Amasa, How are you, my brother? And then Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. And Amasa was not on his guard against the dagger in Joab's left hand. And Joab plunged it into his belly, opening him up, and his intestines spilled out on the ground. Without being stabbed again, Amasa died. Then Joab and his brother Abishai pursued Sheba, son of Bichri. Joab murders Amasa stealthily. That is not the tactic of a warrior. That's the tactic of an assassin. Now one of Joab's men stood beside Amasa and said, Whoever favors Joab and whoever is for David, let him follow Joab. Amasa lay wallowing in his blood in the middle of the road, and the man saw that all the troops came to a halt there. And when he realized that everyone who came up to Amasa stopped, he dragged him from the road into, the, into a field and threw a garment over him. After Amasa had been removed from the road, all the men went on with Joab to pursue Sheba, son of Bichri. Sheba passed through all the tribes of Israel to Abel-Beth-Meaka, And through the entire region of the Barathites, who gathered to, uh, together and followed him. All the troops with Joab came and besieged Sheba in Beth, Abel Beth Maacah. They built a siege ramp up to the city, and it stood against the outer fortifications. And while they were battling, uh, battering the wall to bring it down, a wise woman called from the city, from the walls, the fortified walls. Yo, listen, listen. Tell General Joab to come here so I can speak to him. He went to her. She said, Are you Joab? I am, he answered. She said, Listen to what your servant has to say. I'm listening, he said. She continued. Long ago, they used to say, Get your answer at Abel, and that settled it. We are the peaceful and faithful servants in Israel. And you are trying to destroy a city that is a mother in Israel. 
Why do you want to swallow up the Lord's inheritance? Far be it from me, Joab replied. Far be it from me to swallow up or destroy. That is not the case. A man named Sheba, son of Bichri, from the hill country of Ephraim, has lifted up his hand against the king, against David. Hand over this one man, and I'll withdraw from the city. And the woman said to Joab, His head will be thrown to you from the wall. Then the woman went to all the people with her wise advice, and they cut off the head of Sheba, son of Bichri, and threw it to Joab. So he sounded the trumpet, and his men dispersed from the city, each returning to his home, and Joab went back to the king in Jerusalem. Joab was over Israel's entire army. Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, was over the mercenaries, the Carathites and Pelathites. Adoniram was in charge of forced labor. Jehoshaphat, son of Ahilud, was recorder. Shiva was secretary, Zadok and Abiathar were priests, and Ira the Jairite was David's priest. So it looks like things are getting better. The incipient rebellion seemed to be over, and order has been established. But there are problems still to come. Chapter 21, during the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. The Lord said, It's on account of Saul and his blood-stained house. It's because he put the Gibeonites to death. So the king summoned the Gibeonites. He spoke to them. Now, parenthetically, the Gibeonites were not part of Israel, but were survivors of the Amorites. The Israelites had sworn to spare. But Saul, in his zeal for Israel and Judah, had tried to annihilate them. So David asked the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? How shall I make amends so that you'll bless the Lord's inheritance? The Gibeonites answered, We have no right to demand silver or gold from Saul or his family, nor do we have the right to put anyone in Israel to death. Well, David asked, what then do you want me to do for you? And they answered the king, As for the man who destroyed us and plotted against us so that we have been decimated and have no place anywhere in Israel, let seven of his male descendants be given to us to be killed and exposed before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the Lord's chosen one. You get that? Let us have seven male descendants of Saul be, killed, be given to us and be killed and exposed. That will even up the score. That will create a cosmic balance. The king said, I will give them to you. Now the king spared Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, who was an heir of Saul, a descendant of Saul, because of the oath before the Lord between David and Jonathan, son of Saul. But the king took Armoni and Mephibosheth, the two sons of Ahiah's daughter Rizpah, whom she had borne to Saul, together with the five sons of Saul's daughter, Merab, whom she had borne to Adriel, son of Barzillai, the Maholathite, 
and he handed them over to the Gibeonites, who indeed killed and exposed them on a hill before the Lord. All seven of them fell together. They were put to death during the first days of the harvest, just as the barley harvest was beginning. The barley harvest was in the spring. You recall in the book of Ruth, Ruth was there in Bethlehem for the barley harvest. Now Rizpah, daughter of Ahiah, took sackcloth and spread it out for herself on a rock. From the beginning of the harvest till the rain poured down on the heavens on the bodies, she did not let the birds of the air touch them by day or the wild animals by night. Their mother protected the bodies. When David was told that Ahiah's daughter Rizpah, Saul's concubine, what she had done, he went and took the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from the citizens of Jabesh-Gilead. Remember, the men of, after Saul's death and his three sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua, their headless bodies were nailed to the walls of Beit Shan, and the men from Jabesh-Gilead by night came and got them, took them back to Jabesh-Gilead, and gave them a proper burial. So now, David went and took the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from the citizens of Jabesh-Gilead, where they had been secret, uh, secreted from the public at Beit Shan. And the Philistines had hung them there after they struck Saul down on Gibeah. David brought the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan from there, and the bones of those who had been killed and exposed were gathered up. They buried the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan in the tomb of Saul's father Kish at Zelah in Benjamin and did everything the king commanded. After that, God answered prayer in behalf of the land. So that was harsh justice, but it was justice recognized by God. Now, the whole family, Saul, Jonathan, and his descendants, are buried together, and God's disfavor has ended. But the troubles aren't over yet. Once again, there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. David went down with his men to fight against the Philistines, and he became exhausted. Ishbi Binah one of the descendants of Rapha, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword, said he'd kill David. But Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, saying, Never again will you go out with us to battle, so that the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. Now, did you pick up on this? The... We have a series of vignettes that are flashbacks into David's life, beginning with the Gibeonites being avenged. And now we have a war with the Philistines. Well, by this point in David's career, the Philistines are over. They're done. David defeated them. The, this series of flashbacks takes us into David's earlier life, highlighting the person that he was. The Flashback with the Gibeonites shows David doing something very difficult to even the scales of justice. Now, the war with the Philistines, we find 
that David's getting older, and David could no longer be the tip of the spear. David was king. He couldn't be exposed in battle as he had before. So, flashback in David's life, once again there was a battle between the Philistines and Israel. And David went down with his men to fight the Philistines, and he became exhausted. You see? He's getting older. Can't do that the way we used to. I've learned that myself. You know, I, I can't bench press 250 pounds or run a six-minute mile anymore. It happens. It's happened to David, too. So Ishbi Bina, one of the descendants of Rapha. Rapha is the giant. Who's the giant? A Philist, uh, the Philistine giant of Gath? That's right. Goliath. A descendant of Goliath, whose bronze spearhead weighed 300 shekels and who was armed with a new sword, said he killed David. But Abishai, son of Zariah, came to David's rescue. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. Then David's men swore to him, Never again will you go out with us to battle, so the lamp of Israel will not be extinguished. You're, you're done on the front lines, David. You're king. Be king. Now, in the course of time, there was another battle with the Philistines at Gob. At that time, Sibachai, the Hushathite, killed Saph, one of the descendants of the giant, that is, son number two. In another battle with the Philistines at Gob, Elhanan, son of Yair Orgaim, the Bethlehemite, killed Goliath the Gittite, who had a spear with a shaft like a weaver's rod. Well, David killed Goliath. This is Goliath Jr., son number three. In still another battle, which took place at Gath, there was a huge man. No, I just love this. A huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. Twenty-four in all, just imagine. He also was descended from the giant, son number four. When he taunted Israel, Jonathan, son of, son of Shimea, David's brother, killed him. These four were descendants of the giant of Gath, Goliath, and they fell at the hands of David and his men. I think that is a wonderful flashback. And it answers the question. When David was a young man and David confronted Goliath with a sling and a stone, David approached. Goliath cursed him. David picked up five smooth stones. Why did he pick up five stones when he knew he only needed one? which indeed, he only used one. I would argue that when David was approaching Goliath on that field of battle, he looked up on the ridge of the hill at the Philistine army, and he saw four big, ugly boys who looked just like their father, Goliath. And he thought, I might have to take them out too. <laughs> Isn't that great? And here's the flashback that gives us the answer to the five smooth stones. Well... We move into chapter 22, another flashback. David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of King Saul. With the death of Saul and his three sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua at Mount Gilboa, David 
writes a lament, the lament of the bow, what C.S. Lewis called the greatest lament ever written in any language. But he also wrote this song. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge and my savior. From violent men you save me, I call to the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. The waves of death swirled round about me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I called out to my God from his temple. He heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. The earth trembled and quaked. The foundations of the heavens shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his canopy round him and dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, bolts of lightning blazed forth. Oh, isn't that wonderful? These words are preserved in Psalm 18, a psalm of David. The psalm continues, and I refer you to Psalm 18 for all the details. It's a great song of praise. And then we move into chapter 23. These are the last words of David. The Oracle of David, son of Jesse. The Oracle of the man exalted by the Most High. The man anointed by the God of Jacob, Israel's singer of songs. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The Rock of Israel said to me, When one rules over men in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings the grass from the earth. Boy, in our day, wouldn't it be nice to have a national leader like that? Is not my house right with God? Has he not made me an everlasting covenant arranged and secured in every part? Will he not bring to fruition my salvation? and grant me my every desire. But evil men are all to be cast aside like thorns, which are not gathered with the hand. Whoever touches thorns, use the tool of iron on the shaft of a spear, and they are burned up where they lie. The last words of David we read. And that brings us to the end of Wednesday's podcast. We only have a few more to go here on 2 Samuel, and uh, we'll pick up on Friday. David could not have done any of these things without his mighty men. And on Friday, we'll meet those mighty men. Till then, bye-bye now, folks. Good being with you.